This is ridiculous. Do you have any idea what time we'll get out of here? Nobody likes to work late. Least of all me. Do you have plans tonight? Nope, I don't. Remember when you told us not to make plans because we were working? Yes, I remember. Mmm, this is BS. This is BS. Why are we here? I am gonna call corporate. Enough is enough. I'm Scott. I'm so mad. This is Michael Scott, Scranton. Well, we don't want to work. No, we don't. It's not fair to these people. These people are my friends and I care about them. We're not gonna do it. Everybody, I just got off the horn with corporate and uh, basically I told them where they could stick their little overtime assignment. Go enjoy your Friday. Thank you, Michael. All right. All right. Happy Friday. Well, I think we dodged a bullet there. I think you did. I think we should celebrate. How about you, Pam, me, Casa, little dinner dancing drinks? Oh, I... You said you didn't have plans. That's what you said. Michael has asked Pam and me to dinner at least nine times, and every time we've been able to get out of it. But I gotta give him credit. He got me. Because I'm starting to suspect that there was no assignment from corporate. Michael, hmm. uh, what time should I be arriving? Dwight, it's couples only. And besides, I only have six wine glasses. So it will be me and Jan and him and Jim. And Angela and Andy. Hey! Does it bother me that I wasn't invited to Michael's dinner party? Aw, <laughs> oh, poor Dwight. Hey, everybody, welcome to Hope. Uh, my name is Scott Rains. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you are joining us for worship today. That was, of course, a, a clip from the TV show, uh, The Office. I was looking for clips from The Office because I was remembering you know, clips like this. It seems like there's a lot of invitations being extended and, and rejected in The Office. I was surprised how many episodes have at least part of the plot line that's revolving around this. Who gets invited uh, to the corporate event? Who gets invited to the barbecue? Who gets invited to the office party? And I, I landed on this one because of the way it illustrates both uh, the, the invitation but also the rejection that sometimes goes along with invitation. As you see, uh, Jim is talking, man, Michael's always trying to invite us. We always have an excuse for how we can get out of it, but this time he got us. We, we weren't able to reject the invitation. Andy is ecstatic that he's been invited, and you see Dwight is just completely devastated that he is uninvited. Here's the question for us as we get started in the message today. What do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? What attributes or characteristics of God when you say, this is who God is, what sorts of things start popping into your mind right away? Maybe for some people it's God is holy, God is righteous. Uh, maybe for some people it's the omnis. God is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. Maybe for some of you, the first thing that pops into your mind, what do you think about when you think about God? It's anger. And your primary understanding or belief about God is God is a vengeful God. God is full of wrath. God hates sin. Maybe for some of you it's mercy and justice or love, goodness, kindness, perfection. What do you think about when you think about God? More and more all the time I think about invitation. This idea that God is an invitational God. Let's all say that word invitational out loud together. Say it with me. Invitational. 
And I want to read to you a little bit about this invitational God that shows up in Isaiah chapter 55. This is the word of the Lord. Is anyone thirsty, God asks. Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or milk, it's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? This is the beginning of Isaiah 55. Part of what we see happening here, God is, an ex- is extending an invitation to a great feast. And God says, if you are thirsty, come, I'll quench your thirst. If you're hungry, come to this feast, I will fill you up. And best of all, God says, it's free. It's free. And so God doesn't understand why people are spending their hard-earned money getting food and drink that does them no good when God promises. If you ever go on an all-inclusive trip, you mean you pay for it all up front, but then when you're there, here comes the food, and I don't have to pay for it. That's pretty great. Imagine going on an all-inclusive trip, and you didn't even have to pay up front. This is the invitation of God to us. And people are refusing the invitation. As you keep reading through Isaiah 55, God continues to extend an invitation, but there's a, a little bit of a, a switch. It's less and less about an invitation to a great feast, and it's more and more about an invitation to a great life. I'll put verse 3 up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. The invitation from God is extended to us. Come to me so that you can experience the very best kind of life. Uh, We're in a pretty sweet season, a fun season in our family of eight these days. Uh, Our oldest, Dalton, is 23, and Hadley's 21. Kylie is 19, Kemble is 18, Shaden is 16, and Saffron is 11. Five services, and I got it right every single time. I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, It's a sweet season and a fun season with our kids as they're growing up. A very different season than it was when we first moved to Ankeny uh, in the year 2006. Dalton, our oldest, was seven years old when we moved here. We had five kids, seven and under. And I was thinking about this, that this week, and I was thinking about how many young families we have in this congregation. I was thinking about how many uh, husbands and wives are young moms and dads, and they have these tiny little kids. At the 915 service, one of the families was sitting right in the front row, three little kids, And as I'm going through this part of the sermon, the kids just spilled their drinks everywhere. And so as I'm talking about this, the mom's going out to get uh, rags to come in and clean it up, and the dad's just sitting there. Anyway, um, (laughs) that would have been me. Uh, so, So it's a great season when your kids are little, but it's also challenging, isn't it? It's really hard, and sometimes it it feels eternal, like this will never end. And so I just want you to know, families of young kids, we're praying for you. We are rooting for you. Hang in there. Persevere. There's a payoff coming. And and part of what we are experiencing that's making this season sweet in our lives, we're starting to experience a little bit of the, the payoff. And it happens around the holidays. And so uh, three of our kids now live out of the state of Iowa. Last fall, as we were getting ready for Thanksgiving, making plans for Thanksgiving, the family uh, text group, chat group, were all, uh, when are you going to be here? What are our plans? And, and Wendy and I decided to invite the kids, do you want to make a dish for the Thanksgiving feast? And the people who lived out of state and the kids who live under our roof, everybody said, yeah, sure. So on Thanksgiving morning, we got up. And we went downstairs to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, because that's what you do when you're married to Wendy. (laughs) 
you could sleep in a little bit and, you know, sleep through it. But anyway, um, then we went back upstairs and it was time to make all of the food. And we spent hours in the kitchen cooking together and laughing and telling stories and teasing one another, just enjoying being together. And we sat down to eat and the food was actually really good. We've, got, we've raised some good cooks or they raised themselves, probably more like it. And the food filled us up, but even more than that, the relationships, the life that comes from the connections that we're starting to have in our family, that, that filled us up. And this is the invitation from your heavenly father as God's building this family that we call the church. Come to me with your ears wide open, listen, and you will find life. Over and over again, throughout all of your days on this earth, God's going to be extending an invitation to you. Come to me, I have life for you. I have real life for you. I have a full life for you. I have eternal life for you. God extends this invitation in a lot of different ways through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is one of the ways. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus shows up, the Son of God, and Jesus is also invitational. Extending invitations over and over. One of the places we see it is in John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a region called Samaria. They get to a well just outside of a village, and Jesus sends his 12 disciples into town, get some food. Jesus stays at the well, and he has a conversation with a Samaritan woman at this well. And part of what, it, what Jesus says to her, you know, if you're thirsty, you're coming to the well to get some water. If you're thirsty, Sounds a lot like the beginning of Isaiah 55. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, I have living water. And if you drink this water that I give to you, you will never thirst again. And the woman's like, well, that sounds great. I'd like some of that water, even though she has no idea what in the world is Jesus talking about. Meanwhile, the disciples come back with the food that Jesus asked them to go get. And then Jesus says this to them. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. If I'd been one of those disciples, I'd have been like, then why didn't you just pull that out instead of sending us in? I'd have been a bad disciple. What, what is Jesus getting at here? And I'm pretty convinced the point he's trying to make, there is more to life than what you've experienced up to this point. There's more to life than what you've experienced up to this point. He's trying to communicate this to the woman at the well. He's trying to communicate it to his 12 disciples who go into town to get food. And through the living word of God, he's trying to communicate it to you and to me today. There's more to life than what you've experienced up to this point, even if your life has been really good. God has something more for you. And this invitation that God extends to us, doesn't matter how old we are, doesn't matter what season of life we're in, the invitation is always to taste and to see just how good life with God can be. Come to me, Jesus says. I have life for you. Come to me. And, and, and really, the, the language that Jesus uses more than any language, other language when he's inviting people, he uses the phrase, follow me. Follow me. Walking along the seas, uh, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he sees uh, Peter and James and John out fishing, and he calls out to them, come follow me. Huge crowds of people start to follow Jesus around wherever he goes because he's, he's saying some really interesting things, thought-provoking things. He's doing incredible things, miraculous things, supernatural things. What's he going to say next? What's he going to do next? Huge crowds of people. And Jesus says, yes, you can be my disciple. And we talked about this a little bit last week. If you're going to go my way, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, it's going to look a little different. Let go of your life. Give up your way. 
deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. But this is all invitational coming from Jesus. This is the invitation. This is the invitation. Come my way. Follow me. Let me show you the path to life. Then we get to our Bible reading for today in Matthew chapter 22. It's all about invitation as well. Jesus tells a story, and in the story, invitations get sent out. And as Jesus is telling the story, he says some people ignore the invitation. Some people, they they get the invitation, and then they want to kill the person who just invited them. And so as we're reading through the story, we're like, okay, how am I supposed to apply this to my life in central Iowa in the year 2023? We'll get there. But before we talk about applying it to our lives, we have to understand Jesus is trying to make a specific point to a very specific group of people when he tells this story in Matthew chapter 22. The people he wants to come to him and to listen to him so that they may find life are the religious leaders of his day. And we see this throughout uh, this section of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 21 begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. They're waving the palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna, here comes the king. At the end of Matthew 21, Jesus tells a story. It's called the parable of the evil farmers. Parable of the evil farmers. And he's directing it at the religious leaders. And as he's telling this story, they start to figure out he's talking about us. He's calling us evil and they don't like it. None of us would like to be called evil. So chapter 21 ends, the religious leaders are angry. They want to kill Jesus. They want to arrest him, get rid of him. And then we get to our story in chapter 22. We'll come back to that in a second. Fast forward to chapter 23. Begins this way. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but... Don't follow their example. Don't follow them, Jesus says. They don't practice what they teach. They don't practice what they teach, and it gets worse from there. (laughs) Verse 5, Jesus calls them show-offs. Verse 13, he calls them hypocrites. Verse 16, he calls them blind guides. Verse 27, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Lovely to look at on the outside. Inside, you're full of death and impurity. On the inside, you're completely unclean. So the book ends to the story we're going to look at in Matthew 22. He is calling the religious leaders of his day evil. He's calling the religious leaders of his day show-offs and blind guides and hypocrites. And right in the middle of that, we get Matthew chapter 22 and this story That's our Bible reading for today, but part of what we have to understand, the the target audience, the people Jesus originally wanted to be sure they heard this story, it's the teachers of the religious law. And it's a story about invitations, but very specific invitations. Invitations to a wedding feast. Jesus says there's a king, and the king has a son, and the son is getting married, and the invitations go out, come to the wedding feast of my son. You're invited. Come to me. Follow me. You're invited. You're invited. You're invited. And in verse 3, as Jesus is telling the story, he says, they all refuse to come. Everybody who gets the invitation rejects the invitation. Now, the title of the message today is, Who Will Be in Heaven? Who Will Be in Heaven? Because part of what you have to understand, 
One of the primary images that the biblical writers use to talk about heaven is this imagery of a great feast, a wedding banquet of the Lamb, the Son of God. And so as Jesus is telling this story in Matthew 22, part of what he's talking about is who will be in heaven. He gives us some clues in this story. And the first clue that we should pick up on is you cannot make it into heaven unless you've been invited. Can't get to heaven without an invitation. Now, part of what Jesus' story suggests to us, which is really good news, everybody gets invited. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law get the invitation in Jesus' story. And so do his disciples, so do the crowds of people that follow him. Everybody gets invited. And this actually lines up with what the rest of scripture teaches us. 1 Timothy 2.4, God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. You're invited, everyone. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone, everyone, everyone to repent. This is what God wants. And so the invitation goes out to everybody. And some of you really need to hear this. Some of you, as you watch that opening clip from the office, and at the end, they're asking Dwight, does it bother you that you're not invited? And he starts crying. Some of you inside are going, that's me. I never get invited. Nobody ever extends an invitation to me. Nobody really wants me around. I feel it in my human relationships. And then when I think about God, when I think about faith, I actually have a really difficult time believing God wants me around. That, that God would invite me to spend all of eternity with him. So you need to focus on the power of Scripture. Everyone's invited. Everyone's invited, which means you have been invited. Now, of course, as Jesus tells the story, he says some people refuse the invitation, ignore the invitation. Don't receive the invitation as good news. So the initial people for whom the invitation uh, goes out, they reject the invitation, and now a second round of invitations is going out. And Jesus, in his story in Matthew 22, talks about it in verse 9 and verse 10. I'll just read it for you. But remember, these are the words of Jesus as he's telling this story. He says, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. Now, hopefully, as you were listening to those two verses, there was at least one phrase that stood out to you because it's highlighted in yellow. Good and bad alike. Who gets into heaven? You can't get into heaven without an invitation. Okay. Who gets an invitation? Everyone. Really? Yeah, everyone. Good and bad alike. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Maybe even a little surprising to us. Uh, let's think about this for a little bit. Here's the third, first thought exercise. When you see a phrase, good and bad alike, immediately in your mind, don't you place yourself in one of these categories? Where do you place yourself? You place yourself in the good category or the bad category. Let's do this. Uh, stand up and good people go over there, bad people. No, let's don't do that. In a room like this, there are probably some people who immediately, when you read this phrase, you put yourself, you're so burdened with guilt and shame. You immediately put yourself, well, I'm in the bad category. But if we could be honest, if we could do like a uh, anonymous survey and say, don't think about it, just like 
instinctually, the first thing that pops in your mind when somebody says, are you in the good category or the bad category? My guess is the vast majority of us in this room, the vast majority of us would say, I'm in the good category. I'm not perfect. But here's a list of all the people I'm better than. Thank you for laughing. I'm trying to keep this lighthearted because Jesus is about to blast us, I think. If our initial response is to say, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm in the good category, we probably have a lot more in common with the Pharisees and teachers of religious law than we would care to admit. And last week I said Jesus is in the transformation business. It's always this process of growing. There's always a next step of growth. And in this transformation process in each of our lives, if our tendency is to put ourselves in this good category, part of what that means is the way that this transformation is going to come about in our lives is God is going to say to us some of the same things that God says to the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. Show-offs. Hypocrites. Blind guides. Now, as you think about that, as you think about whether or not Jesus might say something like that to you, Let's watch another clip from The Office, shall we? Uh, Michael Scott is up for a promotion. He's one of five candidates who is getting interviewed uh, for a job at corporate. He is the branch manager, the regional branch manager, Scranton uh, division of uh, Dunder Mifflin. He has the opportunity to get promoted to go to work at corporate. He's very excited about it. Take a look. David! Oh, Michael, are we all set? Isn't our interview tomorrow? Yes. I just happened to be in the neighborhood. Thought I'd drop in, say hello. Just happened to be in Midtown Manhattan. Thought I'd catch a show. Middle of a work day? No. You know what? Since I'm here, let me ask you a few questions about the job. Okay. Um, how many people are you interviewing? We're only interviewing branch managers and some lower-level company people. Ah, well, good. Out of curiosity, are you interviewing anyone who has been here longer than I have or manages more people? I don't think so. Great. One more question. When you merged those branches, who did you put in charge? I believe we put you in charge. Ah, great. No further questions. Okay, Michael. Okay. I am really looking forward to our interview. And I'm really looking forward to working with you. I have got it made in the shade. I know this company. The other branch managers are total morons. Hey, Pam, yeah, I forgot what day the interview was and I drove to New York accidentally. Be like three hours late. <laughs> Michael Scott is so blissfully unaware. And just like you and I are, maybe not blissfully, but we are unaware so much of our life. Let, let's read together some of the wisdom of Scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Michael Scott, it is a challenge for him to be honest in his evaluation of himself. You, you notice the end of that clip. Everybody else is a moron. Oh, by the way, I came to the interview on the wrong day. I'll be three hours late to work. He has this cup sitting in his office, world's best boss, and he doesn't think that's hyperbole. He, like, owns that. It's difficult for Michael Scott, and I think it's difficult for all of us. 
to be honest in our evaluation of ourselves. And the thing that trips us up, the thing that gets in our way is pride. Pride's the original sin of humanity. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden tempted to eat the forbidden fruit. God says, if you eat it, you will die. But what does the serpent say to them? You won't die. If you eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God knows it'll open your eyes and you will be like God. And Adam and Eve like how that sounds. I want to be like God. This is what pride does to us. Again, last week, Jesus says, here's the new way. Here's the better way. Here's the different way. Follow me. And if you're going to follow me, it's the path of humility. What's up is down and what's down is up with Jesus. And so pride often gets in the way of this honest evaluation of ourselves and it makes us think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Maybe this is a helpful way to think about it. When we live out of this place of pride, we want to be like God. When we live out of a place of humility, we let God be God, which has everything to do with heaven. And I'm going to see if I can connect the dots. When we live out of a place of humility, we let God be God. Again, last week we talked just a little bit about this contrast, uh, clean versus unclean, good and bad. And for much of biblical history, it was really easy to know what category you were in. If you ate the wrong food, you were bad, you were unclean. If you didn't wash the right way, didn't take part in the ceremonial, traditional cleansing rituals. You were bad. You were unclean. If you didn't follow the law, if you didn't keep the commandments, if you broke them, if you sinned, you were bad. You were unclean. Again, the question we're looking at today, who will be in heaven, has everything to do with clean versus unclean. Uh, one of the books of the Bible that talks a lot about heaven is the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 21, there's language, there's words that get used that, that show up that are maybe familiar to us. This is one of the places we see language of a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. We see the language of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end in Revelation 21. We see it in other places as well. Revelation 21 verse 4 is this hope-filled, comforting verse we love. In heaven, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there'll be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things will be gone forever in heaven. Chapter 21 ends in verse 27, and I want us to read just a little bit of this verse. Read it out loud with me. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. One more time. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter into heaven. Most of the time when I put verses up on the screen, I delete the footnotes because it you know, fits a little better. I intentionally left that one up. After the word evil, there's a footnote. If you follow the footnote, it'll tell you the original Greek word that's being translated evil. The original Greek word is the word for ceremonially unclean. Ceremonially unclean. So a lot of English translations read, nothing unclean will be allowed to enter into heaven. This should get our attention because last, last week Jesus was saying we are really missing the point with all this clean and unclean kind of stuff. And now it seems to be a really big deal. I mean, if nothing unclean will be allowed to enter heaven, we better figure this stuff out. So part of what happens as we're reading through Scripture, uh, 
all sorts of language stuff going on. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek, and then there's other languages, and then we're speaking in English. And so uh, when we're trying to get from Hebrew to English or Greek to English or Hebrew to Greek and then to English, there's, there's a lot of words that show up that seem like they mean the exact same thing. They can almost be used interchangeably. For example, clean, righteous, or righteousness, right with God. If someone is clean, that's really about being in right standing with a holy God. If you're clean, you're right with God, and if you're right with God, that means you are righteous. They can be used almost interchangeably. We're in this challenge as a congregation this year. We're we're one month into reading the whole Holy Bible together. We're one month in. Good job, everybody. One month in. Only 11 more to go. Um, This is supposed to be a pep talk, but I just... February is going to be hard. I, we got the New Testament reading, and some people are doing both New Testament and Old Testament. In January, we got to read Genesis and Exodus, which was pretty good. Lots of good stories in there. Starting tomorrow, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy over the course of the next five weeks. It's going to be heavy Old Testament lifting. And we're going to be reading commandment after commandment after commandment. Law after law after law, regulation after regulation. It's going to get super repetitive. I've read this before. Why am I reading it again? And you're going to get really frustrated with all the details and all the specifics that go along with all of these laws and rules and commandments. And you're going to want to just say, this is so irrelevant, I just quit. Let me know when we get to Ruth. So when you find yourself wanting to give up, remember this slide. Clean, righteous, right with God. What we're going to read this month in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is all about how do I get clean? And all the details, Jesus says not one jot or tittle will be removed. Uh, If you read in Hebrew, there are uh, no vowels until like several centuries ago. And then they started adding vowels and they're just dots or T's. Those are the jots and tittles. And Jesus says, you know, all of it matters. If you're going to be made right with God by perfectly following the law, you have to, here are the specifics, here are the details, you better follow it perfectly. And of course, none of us, is we can't even read it perfectly. How are we going to follow it perfectly? And that's the point. We're not good enough. We're not righteous enough. We do not have what it takes. If we can't be made clean, if we can't make ourselves clean or righteous enough, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way of becoming righteous, otherwise heaven's going to be empty because nothing evil, unclean, unrighteous is going to be allowed to enter into heaven. So what's the other way? Uh, One of the first guys in the Bible to say yes to God's invitation is Abraham. God invites Abraham, leave your father, leave your family, leave the only place that you've ever known, and I will take you to a new place. And Abraham's like, okay, I accept the invitation. We read about that in Genesis 12. In Genesis 15, Abraham and his wife Sarah are really sad. They're feeling hopeless, a little desperate, because they want to have a family. They want to have children and no kids. So God says to Abraham, let's go outside, look at the night sky. Look at all the stars in the sky. Start counting them. And God says to Abraham, I promise you, I promise you, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then we get to Genesis 15, verse 6, which is a verse most of us have no idea is even in the Bible. 
but it's one of the key verses for understanding the whole Holy Bible, for understanding who will be in heaven. Let's read it out loud together. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So let's be clear. Abraham is a pretty faithful guy. God gives him these invitations, and a lot of times Abraham says yes to the invitations, but he is far from perfect. In the, he's believing God here in Genesis 15, 6. The next chapter, chapter 16, he's tired of waiting. And so he's going to sleep with Hagar, his uh, wife's servant, to try to speed up the process of getting some descendants. He's a faithful man, but he is far from perfect. He is not righteous. The Bible does not say Abraham is righteous. It says the Lord counted him as righteous when he believed the Lord. Counted him as righteous because of his faith. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he picks up on this verse. He writes volumes about it. He calls this the alien righteousness of God. If you like reading that sort of stuff, Google Luther's alien righteousness of God and uh, then make your screen bigger so you can read the fine print. I mean, it's unbelievable all the things he has to say about it. I'll try to do it really short. Alien in the Bible doesn't mean from outer space, Martians. Alien means foreign. Luther says righteousness is foreign to humanity. There is none righteous, no, not one. But righteousness is embedded in the character of God. It's embedded in the identity of who God is. God is righteous. So in order for something, someone who is not righteous to be made righteous, the one with the righteousness has to do it, has to give it to us. The Lord counted him. Some translations say the Lord credited him as righteous because he believed, because of his faith. Now, the fancy theological word is imputed. It's an imputed righteousness. Here's a picture, a way for you to think about it. Uh, did you see Kara when she was up here reading uh, our Bible reading? She had this white vest on. You know, in, in uh, the book of Revelation, people are walking around wearing white. They're wearing white robes. It's a picture of the alien righteousness. Because we're not righteous, we have to believe that there is a God who can make us righteous, who will cover us with righteousness. That's what the white robes are all about in heaven. God is making us righteous because we are not righteous on our own. We can't make ourselves righteous, but God loves us enough to send his son to die, to shed his blood, so that we can be washed as white as snow. What I want you to understand, God does it. God does it. Abram believes, Abram has faith, but God is the one doing it. Jesus says something similar. We sang about it. John 3, 16. God loves the world so much. God gave his one and only son that whoever follows the rules, well enough. No. Oh, whoever is moral enough. No. Whoever believes in him, believes in what God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus will have eternal life. And the Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Who will be in heaven? Matthew is asking this question or asking us to think about this question. Let's look at the invitation of Matthew. We read about it in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's a tax collector and Jesus extends an invitation to him, follow me. 
And Matthew's surprised by this because he knows he's in the bad category. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. He's surprised by Jesus' invitation, but he's so excited about it, he throws a party and invites a bunch of his friends to come. And this upsets the religious leaders. They ask Jesus' disciples, why is Jesus always eating with such scum, such dirty people, such sinners? Jesus finds out about it, and Jesus has a response. It's in the blue up here on the screen. Read this out loud with me. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I was thinking about this verse a little bit the last couple of days. What's the difference? What's the difference between someone who thinks they're righteous and someone who knows they are a sinner? Is it pride? Is it humility? That's probably part of it. Here's the idea that came to my head that I think I want you to think about. Is it possible that those who think they are righteous are missing out on an experience of the power of grace? And those who know they are sinners are relying on their experience of the power of grace. Those who know they are sinners got to a place in their life where they were just broken because of their sin. They recognized how much they had messed up. And somehow in that brokenness, God's love, God's grace reached in. The invitation came. Follow me. Come to me. And you'll find life. Uh, earlier in the message, I was talking about this sweet, fun season we're in as a family. Uh, there have been other seasons that we've been. I remember early on in my time at Hope, I'd get up here and I'd say, you know, Wendy and I were going to bed this week and we found ourselves thinking, I wonder what we did today that our kids are going to be in therapy for 20 years down the road, you know? Because you... If you are a parent by definition, you are not perfect. No such thing as a perfect parent. And sometimes, sometimes when the kids are little, you do things, you say things, and you recognize right in the moment you're aware enough to say, oh, I blew it. And you can say to the kids, I'm supposed to be the adult, I'm supposed to be the loving parent, and I blew it, and I'm sorry, please forgive me. Sometimes you're able to do that in the moment. Most of the time, we're like Michael Scott, and we are unaware in the moment. And then God reminds you five years later, ten years later. And when your kids are teenagers, when your kids are young adults, and you engage in a conversation with them where you're like, hey, you remember that time that I did that or I said that? That was messed up. I blew it. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Those are humbling conversations. And so when you have some of those kinds of conversations and then you experience the joy of connection, you have no alternative but to receive that as a gift of grace. That it's nothing that I've done, nothing that I've orchestrated. This is the goodness of God in my life. This is a gift of grace. And the more we start to experience all the good things in life as God did it. This is a gift. I believe. I have faith. I trust. God's the one doing this. I'm receiving it as a gift of grace. Grace feels like an invitation. It's an invitation to enter into the life of another. It's an invitation to uh, be accepted, to belong. It's an invitation to love and to be loved. And this is the invitation God extends to us day after day, moment after moment in each of our relationships. Come to me. Follow me. Let me help you find more to life. I think one of the reasons I love this show, The Office, uh, when we, 
Wendy and I first sat down to watch it when it was actually like on TV, and we didn't like it. We came back to it several years later, and I don't know how many seasons in it was at the time, but we were able to just binge it. It, it was just so great, because you can, early on, Michael is so desperate for love. He just wants people to love him. He just wants to be friends with everybody in the office, and it's really kind of, his desperation makes people want to stay away from him, reject him. Over the course of the years, and you can really see it if you, if you watch it kind of <laughs> episode after episode instead of week after week, uh, you can see the way the rest of the people in the office learn to love Michael. Of course, Michael is played by the actor Steve Carell, and it was a role that made him you know, a big uh, hit in Hollywood, and he started doing other things. He eventually left the show. So his final episode, they have to figure out how do we write Michael out of the show? And they created two scripts. One they gave to Steve Carell, and one they gave to the rest of the cast. And so the clip you're about to watch, he has no idea this is about to happen. And so they're filming him just because they wanted, they wanted to see Steve Carell the person, not Michael Scott the fictional character, how he would respond to this. So as you watch this, watch for it, listen for it, See if you can feel it in your body, the power of grace, the gift of connection. And, and don't just, like, yes, these are characters on a TV show, but imagine that there is a God who loves you, likes you, welcomes you, believes in you, invites you in this kind of a way. Take a look. I think we all actually want to thank you, Michael. Oh, thank you. I mean, we actually really all want to thank you for everything. Oh my God, something's happening. 9,986,000 minutes. We actually sat down and did the math. 9,986,000 minutes. That's how many minutes that you've worked here. In costumes and impressions. In meetings, in cups of coffee, for birthdays, more meetings and email boards you made us read. 9,986,000 minutes. That's like watching Die Hard 80,000 times. You hit me with your car. You help me get off drugs. I watch you when you sleep. I forgive you for kissing me. Remember to call. Oh!